Hello, and welcome back to the Rewatch Rewind. My name is Jane, and this is the podcast where I count down my top 40 most frequently rewatched movies in a 20-year period. Today, I will be talking about number two on my list, BBC and A&E's 1995 miniseries Pride and Prejudice, directed by Simon Langton, written by Andrew Davies, based on the novel by Jane Austen, and starring Jennifer Ely and Colin Firth. Mr. and Mrs. Bennet, Benjamin Whitrow and Alison Steadman, have five daughters, beautiful and kind Jane, Susanna Harker, witty and strong-willed Elizabeth, Jennifer Ely, homely and puritanical Mary, Lucy Briars, well-meaning but naive Kitty, Polly Maberly, and frivolous and spoiled Lydia, Julia Sawalha. Because there are no Bennet's sons, Mr. Bennet's estate is entailed upon his cousin Mr. Collins, David Bamber, and the daughters are aware that at least one of them must marry well to provide for the rest of the family after their father's death. When wealthy and friendly Mr. Bingley, Crispin Bonham Carter, moves into the neighborhood, he and Jane quickly hit it off, and the Bennet's problems seem to be over. However, Mr. Bingley's sisters, Caroline, Anna Chancellor, and Louisa, Lucy Robinson, along with his unpleasant proud friend Mr. Darcy, Colin Firth, have strong objections to the Bennet family, who strike them as undignified gold diggers, even though Mr. Darcy unwillingly finds himself strangely drawn to Elizabeth. Okay, so yes, this is technically a TV show rather than a movie, but even though it's over five hours long, I still tend to watch it as a movie and it felt right to count it as such. Although when I first wrote it down in my movie notebook, I never anticipated that it would become my second most frequently rewatched. I remember that my parents were really into it, and at some point when it was on TV after we finally got a VCR, they had taped it. I tried to watch it with them a few times when I was younger, but I found the flowery language difficult to understand, and I typically fell asleep in the middle without knowing what was going on. The first time I watched it and actually paid attention was in 2005, and the main thing I remember was that my dad assumed I knew the story by then and kept making spoilery comments. I don't think I fully appreciated it at that point, but I definitely enjoyed it more than I thought I was going to. I ended up watching it twice in that year and then five times in 2006, which is when it became one of my favorite stories. I read the book and watched a few other adaptations that year. In 2007, I only watched the series once, but that was also the year that my family ended up getting two male puppies, and after much deliberation about what to name them, we determined that Bingley and Darcy were the best names that went together and represented something we all enjoyed. After that, I watched it three times in 2008, once in 2009, twice in 2010, four times in 2011, twice in 2012, twice in 2013, four times in 2014, once in 2015, once in 2016, twice in 2017, once in 2018, three times in 2020, once in 2021, and twice in 2022. I don't remember exactly when, but somehow between my siblings, my parents, and I, we ended up with three copies of this on DVD in addition to the taped one. I should also mention that I only counted it when I watched the whole thing from start to finish within a few days, so I've watched it like that 37 times, but I've definitely seen pieces of it way more than that. I keep waiting to get tired of watching it, but every time I put it on, it remains delightfully enjoyable. I know that Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen is one of the most beloved stories in the English-speaking world and probably beyond, although the number of people confused by my dog's names taught me that not everyone is particularly familiar with it, and that it has been adapted and retold dozens of times and that fans of the story have very strong opinions about which is the best adaptation. 
The loudest debate is between this version and the 2005 film directed by Joe Wright and starring Keira Knightley and Matthew McFadden. The first time I watched that version was in 2006, in the midst of my mania for the 1995 version, and I thought it was terrible. I knew it had to be shorter for the feature film format, but they cut out so many of my favorite parts. It wasn't until I rewatched the 2005 version in 2016 that I understood that the people who prefer that version love this story for very different reasons from me. If you're mostly invested in the Elizabeth Darcy romance, that's the version for you. It's all about the tension and chemistry between those two characters, and everyone else is kind of stuck in as an afterthought. But even though the Bennett daughters need to get married is central to the plot, I had never considered the main appeal of the story to be its romance. To 2023 me and you the listener who know that I'm a romantic, that isn't very surprising, but at the time it kind of blew my mind to learn that so many fans of the story are there for that slow burn. Even in 2012 to 2013, when the Lizzie Bennet Diaries was coming out, I figured the reason people were so obsessed with Darcy was because not seeing him until episode 60 added to his mystique. At the end of that show, I was way more concerned about Lydia's story than Lizzie's, and while I enjoyed seeing Lizzie and Darcy finally get together, it was more of a yay, things are happy now relief than squeeing over the adorable romance. Anyway, while I used to be one of those obnoxiously pretentious fans who maintained that the 1995 adaptation was way better than the 2005 one, now I'm more of the opinion that they're both good, just different, and just because I prefer one over the other doesn't actually make it better. So if you're listening to this and are a huge fan of the 2005 version or any other adaptation, know that I'm not trying to tell you you're wrong. Ultimately, Pride and Prejudice is a great story with many layers, and I think it's awesome that there have been so many different versions that emphasize different aspects. Despite the fact that this version is quite long, although not nearly as long as the Lizzie Bennet Diaries, I personally love the pacing. The events of the story take place over about a year, and these six 55-minute episodes take their time bringing us through that year with the characters. Watching it now, I don't understand how I ever fell asleep with it on as a child, because I am thoroughly engaged the whole way through. Sometimes I intend to only watch an episode or two at a time, but I end up sitting through the whole thing because I cannot tear myself away. These characters are just so fascinating, and the cast brings them to life so convincingly. In general, I try to separate actors from characters, but I will always associate this cast with this show. Part of that is because of how many times I've watched this, and another part is because most of these actors haven't been in very many American films, with the major exception, of course, of Colin Firth, whose Hollywood career skyrocketed after the success of this series, so I haven't seen them in many other things. But the main reason is because they all embody their characters so perfectly in this series that it's hard to see them as actors. Every cast member fully committed to their character in a way that somehow makes them feel simultaneously larger than life and grounded in reality. Alison Steadman's Mrs. Bennet in particular is over the top and ridiculous, but manages to just barely remain believable. While the five Bennet sisters on the surface can be summarized by archetypes, they're much deeper than they first appear, and I love the ways that both the writing and the performances gradually bring that out. Crispin Bonham Carter perfectly embodies the puppy dog friendliness and gullibility of Bingley, and Colin Firth nails Darcy's transformation after Elizabeth calls him out. Benjamin Whitrow makes Mr. Bennet so likable that it took me a while to understand that part of the family's plight is his fault. That kind of complexity is one of the major things that makes this movie so rewatchable. There are so many layers to every storyline and every character that you can't possibly uncover them all in just a few views. 
There's also a lot going on in the background. Like, Mary doesn't get very many lines, but I love watching her light up whenever Mr. Collins is around. The show is edited in such a way that the audience can see what every relevant character is thinking at all times, so that even when it's difficult to understand the fancy dialogue, we still get what's happening based on the characters' reactions. This adaptation receives a lot of praise for its faithfulness to the novel, but while it does follow the book quite closely, I don't think it gets enough credit for the changes and additions it made that were still in the spirit of the original story. There is some dialogue that was taken word for word from the book, but Jane Austen tended to summarize conversations rather than transcribing them, so quite a bit of new dialogue needed to be added, and I personally find it difficult to tell where Jane Austen ends and Andrew Davies takes over. Austen didn't write scenes that only featured male characters, claiming that she had no way of knowing how men spoke or behaved when there were no women present, but this show opens with a scene between Bingley and Darcy and focuses a bit more on their friendship than the book does. The change in this version that gets the most attention is when Darcy unexpectedly happens upon Elizabeth after having taken a swim in a lake on his property at Pemberley. I always just saw this as a silly way to add to the awkwardness of the situation, with Darcy trying to remain dignified in soaking casual clothes, and it surprised me to learn that a lot of people love that scene because Colin Firth apparently looks very sexy in his wet shirt. The change that I personally find most interesting is in the letter that Darcy writes explaining himself to Elizabeth after she turns down his first proposal. In the book, he starts with the allegations about breaking up Jane and Bingley and then moves on to the more serious stuff about how Wickham, played by Adrian Lucas, who told Elizabeth that Darcy ruined his life, had tried to seduce Darcy's younger sister. In this version, the letter starts with the Wickham stuff and ends with the Bingley stuff because we're initially watching Darcy and flashbacks of his memories, and then halfway through revealing the letter to the audience, we see Darcy give it to Elizabeth, and then we see her reactions to reading his thoughts about her sister and the rest of her family, along with flashbacks of her memories. Darcy is rather arrogant when he talks about separating Bingley from Jane, so I feel like it makes a little more sense for him to start with that when he's upset by Elizabeth's rejection and then move on to the darker Wickham drama. But I really like the way this version shows their reactions to the part of the letter that's most painful to each of them. And before he writes the letter, we see Darcy dwelling on Elizabeth's words, and he reacts to what she said about Wickham by saying aloud to himself, at least in that I may defend myself, implying that the Wickham story is what prompted him to write the letter in the first place, explaining why he starts with that this time. So it's true to the original without being constrained by the original, and I think that's what makes it work so well as an adaptation. As I said before, many people think of Pride and Prejudice as primarily a romantic story, and like... They're not wrong, but there's so much more to it than that. There's a lot of focus on familial relationships, especially between the two eldest daughters, Jane and Elizabeth, which I've always appreciated for its similarities to my relationship with my sister. It's also worth noting that in this society, women in the Bennett station could not get a job, so they basically had two options, marry well or depend on a male relative. Marriage was essentially a business arrangement, not necessarily a romantic one. In the first episode, Jane and Elizabeth have a conversation about their situation in which Elizabeth says that because Jane is the prettiest and sweetest of the sisters, she will need to be the one to marry very well. And Jane responds with, But Lizzie, I would wish, I should so much like, to marry for love. And then she makes this amazing face like she can hardly believe how unreasonable she's being. Elizabeth assures her, And so you shall, I'm sure. Only take care you fall in love with a man of good fortune. But when Jane asks Elizabeth how she feels about marriage, she asserts, I am determined that nothing but the very deepest love will induce me into matrimony. 
So I shall end an old maid and teach your ten children to embroider cushions and play their instruments very ill. And they laugh. But Elizabeth is completely serious, at least about the first part, as she demonstrates when she turns down two very lucrative marriage proposals that most sensible women in her position would have eagerly accepted. Both men, Mr. Collins and Mr. Darcy, think they are doing her a great favor in offering their hand and are shocked by her refusal. Mr. Collins is a bit of a doofus, but he is also going to inherit her father's house, and it would therefore be the honorable thing for him to marry one of the Bennet daughters so they could at least continue to live there after Mr. Bennet's death. But Elizabeth knew he would make her miserable and was unwilling to put up with him merely for security. One could say she slapped him out of normativity in the face and we love to see it. But interestingly, when Mr. Collins does get married, it's to the very arrow-coded Charlotte Lucas, played by Lucy Scott. Her good friend Elizabeth is utterly shocked that anyone, let alone someone she cares about, would agree to marry Mr. Collins. But Charlotte literally tells Lizzie, I'm not romantic, you know. I never was. A romantic queen. And when Elizabeth vents to Jane about this, Jane has the great line, You do not make allowances for differences of situation and temper. Jane is the ally we all need. Later, when Elizabeth visits the Collinses, Charlotte makes it clear that she kind of just does her own thing and barely sees her husband, and Elizabeth feels bad for her friend, but honestly, Charlotte's life doesn't sound so bad to me. She has security, and her husband mostly leaves her alone. Things didn't get much better for an introverted Arrowace woman in that society. Although part of me does still wish that Mary had ended up with Collins, since she also seems like an introvert on the Arrowace spectrum, but she actually likes him. Elizabeth is the opposite of Arrowace, but the way she refuses to listen when society tells her she's supposed to marry for money feels kind of similar to modern Arrowace people refusing to listen when society tells us we're supposed to fall in romantic sexual love. One of the things I appreciate most about this story is how it demonstrates that every one and every relationship is different. Jane and Bingley immediately fall for each other and are perfectly compatible, but because they place so much trust in the people around them, it takes a while for them to officially get together. And I don't just mean the way Bingley's sisters and Darcy pulled him away. Elizabeth kept reassuring Jane that it was obvious how she felt about Bingley because it was obvious to her, and neither of them realized that a stranger would just see Jane's kindness to Bingley as treating him like she treats everyone else. Elizabeth and Darcy are just as well suited for each other as Jane and Bingley are, but they both have some major growing to do. They need to overcome their pride and prejudice, if you will, before they can be together. And then there's Lydia and Wickham, whose relationship is based mainly on lust. Neither of them seems to have learned anything between the beginning and end of their story, and it's hard to imagine them being happy together. I used to think of Lydia as a spoiled brat who got what she deserved, but now I feel really bad for her. She was a 15-year-old child who was preyed upon by a grown man, and the best-case scenario was for her to marry him. Her plight demonstrates just how awful the societal rules regarding sex were for women, although the story barely seems aware of it. Her elopement is used as a plot device for Darcy to redeem himself, and the focus is all on how her sister's chances of good marriages have been damaged. It's kind of odd that so many social norms are condemned in this story, and yet Lydia is portrayed as deserving of lifelong punishment for daring to break one rule. Jane Austen was progressive, but not that progressive. So that's the one part of this that bothers me. If you too want justice for Lydia, I highly recommend The Lizzie Bennett Diaries on YouTube, which does an excellent job of humanizing and redeeming her. Anyway, back to this version. I love that it includes another couple that many adaptations leave out, Mr. and Mrs. Hurst. 
Mrs. Hurst is Mr. Bingley's sister, Louisa, who, along with their sister, Caroline, loves to make fun of and criticize the Bennets. Caroline is partly motivated in her criticism by jealousy, since she has her eye on Darcy and can tell that he's interested in Elizabeth. But Louisa seems to be motivated by pure snobbery, which is kind of hilarious because her husband is basically a loser. He doesn't seem to have an estate or anything, since they're always staying with her brother, and all he does is drink, hunt, play cards, and sleep. It's just like, girl, you have no room to criticize anyone's situation or decisions when you're stuck with that guy. This just further helps demonstrate that nobody fits society's ideal, so maybe we should all just live and let live. The characters who remain proud and prejudiced at the end of the story are mostly bitter and unhappy, while those who have learned to look at things from other people's perspectives are the happiest. And I really like that message. And aside from the fascinating social commentary, this series is a delightfully fun watch, full of great moments that I will never tire of revisiting. I love, or at least am intrigued by, all the characters, from the leads to the most obscure side characters. She's barely in it, but one of my favorites is Mrs. Bennet's sister, Mrs. Phillips, played by Lynn Farley. Between her interactions with Mr. Collins, who accidentally insults her and then frustrates her as a whist partner, and the way she consoles Mrs. Bennet after Lydia runs off with Wickham, her lines are some of my favorites to quote. And of course, there's Lady Catherine de Bourgh, Mr. Collins's benefactor and Mr. Darcy's aunt, played by Barbara Lee Hunt, who is so impressed with herself that she can't tell that she's almost as ridiculous as Mrs. Bennet. I love Sir William Lucas's capital, capital, and Mariah Lucas's commitment to making haste. Even the characters I don't like as people are interesting to watch. Wickham is the worst, but I'm almost impressed by his gall. Like, the fact that he can face the Bennets after seducing Lydia as if he's done nothing wrong is astounding. That man truly has no shame. While I enjoy pretty much every moment of this series, I have to say that my favorite episode is the fifth one. It really doesn't seem like it should be, since that's when the whole Wickham-Lydia stuff is going on and everybody is super stressed, but it has so many of my favorite moments. Like when Elizabeth is playing the pianoforte at Pemberley and a random servant feels the need to stand right in front of her, bow to no one in particular, and then walk off screen. I don't know who that bowing servant is or why he does that, but I love him. And then there's the part when Elizabeth returns home with her aunt and uncle and her cousins are so excited to see their parents again that one of them tries to do a cartwheel and ends up just falling over. And in another wonderful deviation from the novel, Mr. Collins decides to visit the Bennets, ostensibly to console them, but really to gloat that their problems aren't his problems because he didn't marry one of them. In the book, he does this by writing a letter, but it's way funnier to have him visit them and get to see Mary be impressed with him again. But the best part of that scene is that when Kitty sees his carriage coming, she declares, I'm not going to sit with him for anyone, and runs off to hide in the yard. Later, when he's talking to the other sisters, we can see Kitty peering through the window to see if he's still there, and it makes me laugh every time. This show is so good that I would still love watching and quoting it anyway, but I do think my enjoyment has been at least somewhat enhanced by having dogs named after two of the characters. The names really suited them, too. Dog Darcy was standoffish towards strangers, but with the people he liked, he could be very cuddly, whereas Bingley would pretty much follow anyone around to see what they were up to. Bingley absolutely loved to play fetch, while Darcy would just stare at him like, what is wrong with you, in the perfect dog version of how their namesakes felt about dancing. Sadly, Darcy got cancer and died in 2020. 
Bingley is still hanging in there, although at 16 years old, he's definitely declining and his fetching days are long behind him. There are a lot of differences between me and Jane Bennett, as she is clearly not Arrow Ace, but since we share the same first name and are both the eldest sibling, I've always felt a kinship to her, and it makes me happy that presumably we each got to watch our own Mr. Bingley grow old. I think after he inevitably passes, watching this series will probably feel bittersweet for a while, although I don't think that will make me love it any less. I anticipate continuing to watch it at least once a year on the 26th of November in honor of the Netherfield Ball, while fondly reminiscing about fetching with Bingley and snuggling with Darcy. I could go on and on about this movie for hours, but ultimately what it all boils down to is I love the 1995 Pride and Prejudice because it is an excellent story told extraordinarily well about characters who are exactly as ridiculous and flawed as real people. So if you've thought about watching this version but have been turned off by the length, I highly recommend giving it a chance anyway. Yes, it's almost six hours long, but it's a thoroughly enjoyable way to spend almost six hours. I was suffering from depression when I first got into this series, and it was one of the few things that made me feel good about life. And if I had not already been in love with this version, I probably wouldn't have watched the Lizzie Bennet Diaries, and therefore might never have gotten into shipwrecked comedy, and that would be very sad. So I have a lot to thank this miniseries for. Thank you for listening to me discuss another of my most frequently rewatched movies. It's a little hard for even me to believe that I've rewatched Pride and Prejudice more than any other movie besides one in the last 20 years, but I think it really is my second favorite movie, so it's fitting that it ended up here. Now I only have one movie left, and it's number one by a lot, with 51 views compared to PMP's 37. So stay tuned for what is clearly my favorite film. And now... For the last time, as always, I will leave you with a quote from that next movie. My, she was yar.